You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, episode 278. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller this week and Fosma Mood. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing great. Excellent. Good. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing all right. It's a sunny day in Portland, so. That's weird. You're home? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and Foz uh, doesn't have his passport on him. That's two strikes. What was I supposed to have done? <laughs> was it, is it snowing in New Hampshire? It is not. It's actually, it was warm here, so maybe that's the problem. Yeah, see? It's opposite. I mean, Everything's weird. Warm is relative, but it, it was above freezing. <laughs> it, it's warmer at home in New Jersey than it is in San Jose. At the- no. Oh. <laughs> Um, so, so let's, we, we touched on the coronavirus, China and, and things that were happening, uh, during the last episode. Um, but things have developed rather quickly since that episode. Um, so what's happening, Seth, what is it that, that you see happening as far as travel? Uh, complete breakdown and coherent and coordinated decision-making. <laughs> is that fair? No, uh, that may be a little overstretching things, but the, I mean, the short, short version is the World Health Organization, like an hour after we finished recording the last episode, so early last, relatively early last week, mid last week, came out with advice declaring a global health crisis. And what's interesting about that is it was specifically, we are declaring this global health crisis, not because China has done a bad job of managing things, but in order to make sure that we can have coordinated and consistent rules applied for making sure that access remains open, that, you know, the economy still continue to move, et cetera, et cetera. And the reaction from basically everybody else was, are you effing kidding me? And closing the borders. Uh, (laughs) One by one, countries started to institute checkpoints. Uh, All passengers would be quarantined or flights weren't allowed to operate or passengers who touched Chinese soil are not allowed to enter uh, or will be quarantined for 14 days if they're non-citizens is the U.S. rule right now. There, there's a lot going on and none of them are consistent and all of them are basically shutting down air travel to and to from and through China. Well, and the, the U.S. rule is self-quarantine for 14 days if you're a citizen. If you're not a citizen uh, or don't have a green card, you're not going to be allowed in unless there's an extraneous circumstance uh, due to family. Yeah, it, it's severe. Uh, yeah, because I mean, they initially, last week they declared it an epidemic and I think last night I, or this morning I read it's now officially a pandemic. Yes, the CDC has said it's uncontrolled now because of how far it's reached. There's there's no controlling it, so it's we're trying our best, and we'll see where it goes. Which, uh, I mean, right, I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm not a doctor of any sort, but that seems an interesting claim given the level to which some of these, uh, some of the numbers stand right now. I'm not so sure I would call it epi- uh, pandemic level spreading, but well, just, compared, just to, compared to some of the other similar you know, weird outbreak kind of situations we've had over the past decade. This one is certainly attracting a lot of attention, at, but I don't feel like it's gotten quite as spread as far as quickly. Um, mm. Also, we clearly have more connected air, you know, aviation infrastructure, especially within China, like compared to SARS, the volume of traffic within China is double to triple. Right, so a lot more opportunities for it to spread. Also, just a lot more people. But also, I just, I don't know, the numbers I've seen so far suggest that Declaring it that way might be stretching things a bit. But I think part of the declaration is because they don't know how it spreads or how quickly it spreads, right? It, unlike SARS, which is pretty instantaneous right now, what the belief is that it's a two-week incubation period. Yeah. And there's also speculation that the numbers being published about China are not exactly accurate. Yeah. And that sort of 
you know, dovetails into one of my, one of the things I want to talk about today is that sort of general attitude seems to be pervasive globally compared to the WHO saying, no, 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 everything's fine. And to a lesser extent, uh, ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, something like mm-hmm. that. Yep. Uh, which is a UN agency sort of saying everything is okay and doing a lot of other bizarre crap beyond that. But isn't the WHO an extension of the UN as well? Yes. So both are UN agencies. Right. And so one of the things we've seen is some really questionable behavior from ICAO. And as people have been digging in, there's a fair number of Chinese nationals in leadership positions at ICAO. So you have to wonder, is there a bias to the information being published? Yes, absolutely. Um, Right. And, you know, I, I, I like the whole WHO thing. We, we want to get this out there to coordinate this, to do the right thing, except if you're Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the really interesting things we've seen is like early, not early on, but recently uh, Italy banned all flights from China. And that included Taiwan. Yeah. They actually went to the extent of issuing a NOTAM. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good way to make sure. It pilots is. aren't confused. Um, might be you know far more useful than oh look there's a crane over there far away from your airport. Um, it's it's interesting that they did that and eventually they walked back the Taiwan bit. But you know if you just say China and you follow UN rules, arguably that includes Taiwan, which mm. gets to be super strange and interesting and challenging. Yeah, I mean the Secretary of State issued a statement last week on Friday. I think that they did not agree with the way that ICAO was behaving in regards to Taiwan. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the real intent of that was, just to, except for embarrassing them publicly. But I mean, isn't it? Isn't it? Wouldn't you say it's kind of two faced? To you, you want to include Taiwan for your political gain, um, but at the same time, you don't want to include them in the health response um, from an airline perspective, or even a response perspective of of getting people uh, on the ground where they need to be. Yeah, it's there's also some weird challenge or I don't want to say challenges, some interesting sort of politics going on with Taiwan and then looking at how the U.S. is dealing with the with China and like the trade that what was the trade war that maybe the phase one, whatever settlement or whatever we're calling it. Uh, there's an interesting sort of position there of like, did the U.S. does the U.S. even care that the fact that a third of the flights are now basically all the flights between the U.S. and China are gone? <clears throat> Right. And so that was a decent amount of the cargo lift between the two countries. So in the conversations of who's going to buy what and where those numbers are, right, the phase one trade deal was, you know, it's it being successful was a necessary step towards moving forward. And there was potential risk of further, you know, returning the embargo or other things or the tariffs kind of situation on embargo, but returning the tariffs. And if there's no way to move goods between the two countries, that makes it very, very hard to reach those numbers. But, but uh, two things. First, I think the China Eastern is the only Chinese carrier that's canceled flights to the States. I don't know if the others have. And have UPS or FedEx canceled any? I think actually UPS, I saw something somewhere suggesting UPS had changed some of its flights. Um, and, and there's just dedicated cargo carriers that are not right. individual packages, but, you know, belly cargo or not belly cargo, but full freighters. Yep. Um, so, the, but those, and those do matter. Those are, are, you know, for the higher value stuff, it depends. But I think a lot of that does travel as belly cargo just because it's more frequent timing. But how much of that stuff is going to like Hong Kong via ground transport and coming out of and Hong Kong? Across. A decent amount. Yeah. Um, but it depends. I mean, uh, uh, there are nonstop flights out of Shenzhen too, or one stops out of Shenzhen that are just as easy and fast. Oh, agreed. No doubt. But I mean, I think a lot of it um, goes to Hong Kong because there's just so many more options coming out of Hong Kong for belly cargo. Yeah. Uh, a lot more of the dedicated carriers are going into Shenzhen shore, but not in the way of much in the way of commercial flights. But it's interesting. Um, 
I was reading that a number of healthcare workers in Hong Kong are boycotting, striking, whatever you want to call it, because they want the uh, ground borders closed with China. Because right now they're still open. They, and we're recording this on this Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. <laughs> on Monday, Monday in the states, so like Tuesday morning, Hong Kong time. I actually think that they're trying to do that. Uh, that something something was announced about that for Hong Kong today. With, to, to close the land borders? To, to close most of the borders and put some slight, slightly better checks in place. This is like a double whammy for Hong Kong, though, coming off the last six, seven months. Yeah. And running into this. I mean, this this has to bring the economy, local economy there to a screeching halt. And certainly the airlines. Will Cathay survive this, right? We know Hong Kong Airlines won't, but will Cathay? That's, I mean, that's, that's, a, tough, that's a tough call. I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting that... Chinese carriers, there's has hasn't been a ton of Chinese carriers that have canceled service to the U.S. But Cathay definitely hasn't, right? Like they haven't reduced um, service, but they also have a. Isn't there a directive in place that there any crew that touches mainland China won't be allowed to continue on other places? Isn't that some kind of new thing that came into play just yep. the other day? Yeah, I mean Cathay hasn't reduced anything in the last two weeks. I mean they did a number of reductions in the last few months. Yeah, um, but they haven't done anything in the last few weeks. But we'll see if they do anything. Someone I saw someone I think Seth that's your friend was suggesting one of the ways Cathay can move forward is they would split up their dragon flights uh, and have dragon flights operate to mainland China only basically and everything else would be operated by uh, true Cathay metal. But I think Cathay has dropped a lot of mainland China service already or suspended it. Dragon yeah. has yeah. I mean there's some I saw a chart of like flight, just the mainland Chinese carriers and what they suspended and including including their domestic network it's like half wow. literally half. Uh, a lot of forty, a lot of mid forties to sixty in terms of <laughs> frequencies cut, and that was just today. But uh, it's serious. This is like, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen it. Even after September eleventh, we didn't see. We've never seen someone get cut off like this. Right? This was pretty much isolating China as a country. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, any other thoughts on? Coronavirus and the response by the ICAO situation with regards to Twitter is absurd. The the blocking of people. Yeah. And I know the guy who's managing this. I've met him before. So in some ways I have some sympathies, but their policy is basically if you post something that we don't believe is an accurate representation of what ICAO does or how it works, we will block you because that's misinformation and we won't be associated with that. And the number of different ways that's stupid is hard to count. Hey, man, fake news. Uh, <laughs> I'm an asshole. I know. Um, I, I'm just trying to like, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. But just blocking everybody who says something is doesn't, I guess my point with that is it doesn't change the conversation and it only makes it worse for you. Yeah. How long before the iCow account gets hacked? Yeah. I, I don't know that people care that much. There's that. It's not that <laughs> big an account. Like in our world, some people sort of care, but. Well, it, it's it wasn't funny. though. It was enough to like that. Foz mentioned it was enough to make the U.S. government issue that statement. So we can we we can expect the dots, lines, and destinations Twitter account to be blocked. So I'll just go ahead and say it. I talked to other people, and they've like they said, "Oh yeah, I've been blocked already by him." So I don't care, you know. So yeah, anything you say bad about iCow or any kind of questioning of anything that goes on because they are they also have a isn't there a scandal going on in iCow as well right now? Yes. Um, oh yeah. So I mean, anything you say that questions their ethics or motives uh, immediately gets gets you blocked so i mean the problem is right it it makes one question their credibility when they do react like that yes right? and he, this is supposed to be a you know a bipartisan organization that's supposed to be doing right for the people and they clearly have an agenda with the way they're responding today yeah it's supposed to be a globally neutral operation and it's not entirely that yep yep how do we get nominated to be on that cow uh, you have to be a country for one thing. You got to pay somebody off. Um, 
Uh, I'm kind of kidding, but not really. Um, yeah. <laughs> I meant more in the positions, not a member country, but more in the positions that are blocked of the people who are partaking like this. Oh, I mean, they open the jobs from time to time. I mean, but you got to be, you got to be willing to work in Montreal. Actually, one of the interesting things about working there, I don't think you need a work permit. Really? Technically, you're not working in Montreal. Because you're working for the UN? When you go into the building, I, I did a tour um, with the guy who runs their social media account because I was in town just over a year ago now. And I showed up. He's like, make sure you bring your passport. And I did. And when I checked in, there's like a desk outside in the foyer or in the lobby area of the building. There's a little museum nearby. There's pretty cool stuff of the history of, you know, aviation, whatever. And then there's like a giant glass wall with a door. And as you, you give the guy your passport outside, he issues you a badge. And then you go through that door. And when you're inside that door... You're technically on international land. You're in no man's land. You're because it's on the UN property. Hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure how that works with residence permits, but it's, the work is done for the global agency, not as a Canadian position. Hmm. I wonder if I should uh, visit while I'm in Montreal. It's, it is actually pretty cool. Interesting. Um, you know, they have like giant meeting rooms with, you know, the supersized conference space with, you know, plush chairs and everybody's names around the circle and things like that. But they're really nice space and different countries have donated different things to the to the build out of the space. So like, I think it was Morocco sent artisans over to do tiled wall in one of the rooms. <laughs> and a bunch of different countries donated different airplanes, like giant models to be displayed. So the latest is actually Ukrainian donated a it was an AN-124 or 228, I forget which, but recently on their Twitter account, they, they showed it, like the dedication ceremony. Cool. What do they, I mean, it's for the, our listeners, what does ICAO actually do? They have big meeting rooms, and they're really pretty. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they for, for one, they kind of set help set some of the regulation air carriers around the world, right? Like Yes, how- and so, yeah, there is what they call, they call them annexes, but basically every country... It's not all of them that have agreed to all of it, but as you know, UN members, you basically agree to the uh, ICAO uh, mission statement or constitution, for lack of a better word. I'm sure there's a real word for it. I don't remember what it is. Um, And then over time, that can be adjusted and it's adjusted through the issuing of these annexes. And so the annexes cover things like accident investigations. Mm. Um, that became a big deal with the crash or the missile uh, uh, shooting down the plane in Iran, where I think it's Annex 9 or 13, one of them, uh, covers how the uh, how different parties are supposed to participate and react. And so it says that the country where the incident happened runs the investigation, but that the country of manufacture is supposed to be invited, as is a representative of the country of the operator of the airplane and various other parties. So things like that. Um they they and they they do a lot of those things. One of the challenges is they are a UN organization, and so things move very very slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they yeah. helped they helped define the Corsia scheme, which is the carbon offsets for yeah. airplanes. Uh, that was, but it's like they meet. They have a like one a conference. I think it's every year or every other year. Um, they only govern their it's 36 member states that manage uh, that represent the 193 uh, countries in the UN. They're only they're only elected every third year. So it's a I don't know. There's some interesting stuff going on there. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, some some airline uh, uh, news, I guess we call it. Or uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not really news. I guess, people already knew this was happening. It's just it's happening faster than we originally thought. Uh, Latam is leaving. Uh, one world on May 1st. Yeah. Uh, and Royal Air Maroc is joining on April 1st. Yes. Uh, was the Royal Air Maroc joining supposed to be on the 1st of April or was it, did people think it would take longer? 
I don't know. I think. I mean, I don't know that they necessarily. I don't think they ever announced a date prior to that. So. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the but the May first for for Latam leaving is a bit surprising because it's sooner than everyone thought it would take place. Yeah, it's, it has been accelerated definitely. There's some people I've seen complaining that they didn't get the full year notice, which theoretically is the standard. Um, to be honest, I haven't read the contracts, so I don't know. Uh, but some people seem to think that a year is normal for that sort of change. I'm not sure. Was it China Southern leaving? Sky Team had a full year either, mm-hmm. so maybe not. But you know, I also. I sympathize with people who had previously booked tickets and now all of a sudden, you know, aren't going to have their elite benefits or things have changed. They aren't going to earn points the way they thought they were. At the same time, the number of passengers that book tickets more than 90 days out is very, very small. So yeah, yeah. It's, I don't see it as a huge impact. Uh, but I've got a question about that. what happens if the JV doesn't get approved with that with Delta? Then Latam is sitting out in the cold wondering what the hell to do with it. Um, I don't think that's a risk, really. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I mean, JVs, I a small risk. Let's be clear. The, the problem is, JVs are getting out of control, right? Or drastically, they're they're basically creating mini monopolies in all these markets. And I think it's only a matter of time that someone figures this out. And I think there have been a lot of people suggesting that that's a problem, but I haven't seen any actually. Re- I mean, the closest we came to one being rejected was the Qantas American, or not the closest. It was actually rejected, like what four years ago. And then last year it was approved after United showed up with Air New Zealand with a bunch of extra competition and people said, eh, yeah, okay. Uh, I guess, no, I take that back. More recently than that, the JAL Hawaiian JV was rejected. Right. But Which is ironic because that's a tiny one compared to something like this. Yeah, and at a time when Americans have been retreating from Latin America, it, it actually causes more concern for a JV to get approved because the amount of competition has gone down yeah. in the last year. It'll be interesting. I still, I still expect it will get approved. I know that Delta did just get its uh, next two, another two-year extension on its like on its uh, blanket code share with Aeromexico. So Delta, generally speaking, hasn't had too many problems with its applications lately. Um, I also just doubling back, it is Annex thirteen that covers aircraft access investigations, not. Um, in in seven thirty seven news. Was, oh wait, sorry. Can we talk about the oh, alliance thing real quick? One more. Thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, because of how close the timing is on the two members joining and leaving, one interesting quirk is that Royal Air Maroc and Latam did not bother to negotiate a bilateral, so there's no crossover between those two. Just for like one month. Basically. For the one month, if you're a Royal Air Maroc, whatever elite, and you show up to fly on Latam, you don't get the baggage benefits or lounge access or any of those other things because they're not in the system. Huh. Good to know. I mean, I don't know what the Speaking odds of edge cases. Yeah, I don't know what the odds of someone being on Royal Air Maroc and Latam. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could. Um, the, the 737 news, the Spirit Aerosystems, which they, they make the, the fuselages, correct? Right. Um, they've said they're only going to deliver 216 fuselages in 2020 for the max. Yes. Um, so they'll start production or restart production and come up to 216 total. And they don't expect to produce more than 52 per month so the current rate was 52 and then they dropped it to 42 right after the grounding uh boeing did and spirit aerosystems was still producing for rate 52 and putting 10 aside every month and so they did that for what nine ten months so there's like 100 random 737 max fuselages sitting around uh i don't know if you guys saw the pictures but they were like wrapped in orange plastic and they looked like hot dogs Yep. That overhead shot, right? So um, some people thought they were sushi, salmon. Anyway, um, so those are sitting around also. But it's the way I read the announcement was, and it's unclear to me how many of those are considered delivered or not. But if those aren't considered, if those are considered delivered, they still have to be physically delivered. 
if they're not considered delivered to Boeing contractually, then those could count against the number. I think, though, that Boeing had originally said they were going to contractually take delivery of them and just leave them stored somewhere. But either way, that means that in this calendar year, Boeing expects to produce at most half the number of 737 Maxin that the line theoretically was supposed to produce this year. Hmm. And of course, you've got nine months of or nine months of 80% production backlog to get through, right? Because they were doing 42 instead of 52. But there's so there are still plenty of planes to be delivered, but it's not like either Boeing or Spirit Aerosystems expecting to do massive, a, a massive number of planes this year. And that's challenging, not just for those two companies, but there's myriad other suppliers that get involved and get, you know, drawn into this mess. Mm-hmm. I got a release today from Astronics, which is one of the bigger supplier companies you probably have never heard of. And they make things like uh, the passenger service unit lights and emergency flashlights and the strobe lights that go on the wings and things like that. And it's for different different things for different airplanes. But they've got somewhere close to a million dollars worth of hardware on each plane, if I remember correctly. Or, <laughs> or 100,000. It's a big number. I'll pull, the, pull it up here while we're talking. But... They have, you know, because they have no idea when uh, the systems are going to come back online, uh, $95,000 $95, of hardware line fit on every plane, plus other things that the airlines may choose. So, you know, and they expected to sell, say, 600 of those this year, and instead they're going to sell 200, you know, 400 times 100,000 each, $40 million. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of money that's being lost. Uh, and, you know, I talked to another vendor who makes some of the satellite radome hardware for or the in-flight connectivity stuff and buys the satellite radomes and their comment was yes we expected to deliver more we're shifting our business and accelerating the retrofit of other customers airplanes so they're sort of still buying the same hardware you know it's 90 percent the same kit there's minor differences in in what's included in the box to how it gets mounted but they are still maintaining and have you know and their suppliers are mostly still maintaining but for others it's this is huge and, and is there still no clear path forward for Boeing and uh, the Max? Is is it still kind of up in the air? What's going to happen? Well, I think the path forward is Boeing makes it work, but but that still hasn't been demonstrated as being possible yeah. or correct. Yeah, there's there, they did move. Interestingly, they moved a handful of planes from Moses Lake back to Renton. I think recently, mm-hmm. which one could argue is a good sign, but yeah. I don't know. Every time Boeing, every time someone at Boeing sort of opens their mouth and says, we think we have a timeline, the FAA reminds the world that there is no timeline. <laughs> so that, that's awkward. But didn't the FAA recently come out and say that it might flight sooner than they've been saying? The FAA did say something to that effect. It was, it's still hard to get too excited. I don't know. I, I understand why they're saying something. They're trying to keep, you know, the public informed and keep their investors informed so that the you know stock price maintains, which bizarrely it has. But it's pretty it's i think it's pretty questionable to keep saying oh no you know just keep revising the timeline like that at at boeing instead of saying we are continuing to work towards a safe return to the operation of this airplane blah 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 thank you for your patience like it's a it's a shitty answer no one wants to hear it but it's the only answer that's not like offensive to reality but i mean you know they have a much bigger problem even once they get certified which is getting people on the planes right (laughs) With this kind of outage, the more the longer these stay out of the sky, the more tarnished that brand is. Well, and, and the, I generally tend to agree with you, although passengers have proven for 50 cents savings, they'll do basically anything they want. Um, and there's the part where the comment from uh, the CEO, the new guy, Gallagher, right, during his recent uh, meeting, or during the most recent quarterly earnings, where he said, quote, I'm not going to market my way out of this. So all the maxes will be going doing Florida routes. <laughs> and transcons, man. 
train towns of New York City to LA and JFK or to LA and San Francisco is a pretty competitive route. But who's flying 737s on those at this point? Alaska. <laughs> right. Okay. United will be soon. Really? Oh, yeah, with their subfleet of flat seats. Yeah. But those are still a few years away, aren't they? Sure. So They're getting bad. longer with each passing month that you know Boeing doesn't return to service. But yeah, Exactly. Um, unless they pivot um, to the XLR. Well, isn't that isn't that kind of like the outstanding question, right? Uh, Alaska is kind of at a, at a position where you know they have Virgin's old A321 orders, and they have their Max orders, and they could at this point switch it out and make it all Airbus orders if they wanted to. Isn't that something that the other airlines have the option to do as well? There are, I mean, in theory, yes. There's you're going to run into challenges about delivery timing and slots. Like, when can you actually get a new 321? Now, yeah. at this point. How many years out are they? And to be fair, Boeing, similar challenges depending on when they get back into service or back into production, back into deliveries. But uh, the longer Boeing stays offline with the production, the more pressure on both sides is market. This is not necessarily great news for Airbus. Uh, Also raises questions on what the certification process is going to look like once about. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, For... You know, the market in the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest United States, uh, there was a new airport, Payne Field, that opened up, you know, what was it, a year ago now? Um, and United had announced they were going to fly to Payne Field from San Francisco and Denver. Uh, and recently, yesterday, announced they will be killing that route off. The San Francisco route. The San Francisco route. They'll be leaving Denver, but killing off San Francisco. Uh, that's a strange turn of events. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they finally gave up. The, you were saying you posted some route numbers, like uh, traffic, how much loads were, and it was not good, right? Yeah, it was very not good. I mean, the first couple of months were in like the 30s and 40s, Re- and then it got up to like 70, but the yields were still bad. And that's only got us through, I think, like July or August, maybe. And then I don't have the DOT data doesn't exist yet, at least that I have access to for more recent months. So, um, yeah, that's that, where, is that a percentage quote? Are you quoting? Yeah. Your, okay. Sorry, percentages, um, not total number of passengers. Uh, so yeah, it's the route hasn't done well. It's been delayed a lot, which, yay, San Francisco. It's been delayed more than the Alaska Airlines two dailies that also go to San Francisco. So there's clearly some impact in terms of prioritization such with United. And then it was, I don't know, there's a lot of, it was delayed more. It, I didn't see cancellation numbers. I didn't check those. But also, it uh, people weren't paying as much. People were paying, on average, from what I could see, $20 less to fly United than Alaska. So Alaska ended up with two-thirds of the market and United about one-third. And this, you could see if you if there's only one operator or just fewer flights total, then it probably would actually meet the demand for the market. But uh, obviously, neither airline necessarily wanted to give up. Yeah. But with SeaTac so saturated, why weren't they more successful? Most of Seattle doesn't live north of Seattle. Okay, but they're willing I mean, to go to Bellingham. I, well, I think I think for I think for rea- the reality is Alaska has a foothold in Seattle. Regardless, yeah, no, it's, it's all point of sale based tra- tra- uh, situation, and so when you're selling tickets out of the Seattle market, that's who knows about Everett. People, for the most part, in San Francisco or somewhere connecting through San Francisco aren't going to say, oh, I want to fly to Everett. They're going to say, I want to fly to Seattle. And actually, I don't know if when you do a generic Seattle all airport search, if it shows up with both. Like if you do Boston, Portsmouth shows up sometimes, which is bizarre. They should take a lesson from uh, Manchester and call it Boston North. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was actually, yeah. If you do Seattle, there is no all, you know, Seattle all airports. There's 
um, there, yeah, it's interesting. You don't, you have to put in effort. And see, Alaska sells it as both. Yeah, so, but Google Flights doesn't. Like, but yeah. if I put Boston in on Google Flights, um, there used to be all airports. Um, mm-hmm. and it used to have the. It doesn't now. Oh, I know why. Uh, it did when Frontier operated to uh, Portsmouth because Frontier was in the GDS platforms, but uh, Allegiant is not. So it changes the way those behave. Um, so in the nearby airports thing, there are some options depending on the interface, but it's there's not great choices. Uh, yeah, Boeing Field, Boeing Payne Field on Google Flight shows up just after Portland. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's you know, and the other thing is a lot of people just don't know about. Everett and the area. Uh, if you're if you're not if you're not familiar with the the geography of Seattle, it is more convenient if you're going anywhere north of say Shoreline, anything like that. So Ballard, you know, anything of North Seattle is much closer. But I don't think many people realize that when they're booking. But also, has no mass transit. No mass and, transit. Yeah, and <laughs> is fewer frequencies. So th- there's good and bad. I mean, it's a gorgeous airport. I was I flew out in the opening day a year. It was great, but. Only twenty. It's capped at twenty-four flights a day. Alaska owns nineteen of those slots right now. United has the other five and is giving three of them up. So, do we know who those are going to go to? Uh, nothing I've seen. Yet. But wouldn't Redmond be like practical to go to Payne? Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. In, I mean, there's a lot of people in Redmond, right? So you would think it'd be a little more successful. But to that, to your earlier point, that those people are probably flying Alaska. Or I mean, successful where? Those people going to Tokyo? Why wouldn't? Why would they fly? Red, yeah, why would they fly Payne, San Francisco, or Payne, LA, Tokyo instead of just going SeaTac, Tokyo? Fair. Red, Redmond's, right, it, it, yeah. Redmond's in a pain. It's a pain in the ass to get to either one, really. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, I, I remember from SeaTac. I had I went, went to some Microsoft conferences out there a decade ago when you know traffic was much better uh, or not nearly as bad, and it was still a pain in the ass. But I, <laughs> but I mean, you know, and it's been a while since I've been to Seattle. But I imagine Redmond to Payne is less stressful than Redmond to SeaTac. Yeah, it's probably. Just, it's a slightly better hour of wanting to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> You're going 30 miles an hour rather than stopping for five minutes at a time. Yeah, you basically get to go kind of around Lake Washington instead of going either the south side of it or over it into downtown. So I guess that's okay. It's still not a close drive. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think like it has a lot to do with people being, you know, if you're from northern I, and I think this is where Alaska marketed better. If you're if you live in northern Seattle and you need to travel to other Alaska destinations, San Diego, Portland, San Francisco, it's Phoenix, etc. It's it's a better alternative for your O and D. Yes. If you if you need to go somewhere else, eh, it's probably not. Is pain distance restricted? I don't think so. Um, I mean, yes, it's only E one seventy five flying, but I don't remember that being a requirement. So could they do Chicago? I believe so. Because that would be something where they're not competing with Alaska. Right. And it might be, you know, if they market oh, a shuttle. Not, yeah. Because I'm surprised exactly. there's no pain to Charleston flight. <laughs> well, there's a Seattle to Charleston. So. I know, but pain is right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I guess you just hop on one of the dream lifters that goes back and forth yeah. a couple times a day or a couple times a week. You do that too. <laughs> uh, what else we got? Airbus has, speaking of airlines, airliners, uh, Airbus has hit a, a settlement in their bribery scandal, uh, and AirAsia was implicated in this. What's the full story here, Seth? I didn't realize this was even going on. Uh, it turns out that paying money to people is illegal to get them to buy your product. So uh, and, more awkward when they're government officials. Gotcha. But uh, in the case of AirAsia, so the overall number right now is roughly $4 billion with a B. 
is the penalty Airbus is going to have to pay. And they seem pretty happy with that number, uh, which is awesome considering that apparently one of the numbers floated at one point was as much as $200 billion in liability. So four is much better than that. Wow. But it's still a huge sum of cash. And the Air Asia one specifically has to do with in the early 2010s, like around 2012 and 13, the airline was negotiating for one of its rounds of new airplanes. And it's like 180 A330 Neos and A320 Neos, I think is what was is what the accusation suggests. And right around the same time, Airbus also paid $50 million to sponsor the Formula One team owned by Tony Fernandez and his co his the chairman. Um, he's the CEO and the chairman, whose name I'm going out. Uh, Din Din uh, da, 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 Din Marinon. Uh, so yeah, both of them went in together on a Formula One team. Airbus pumped fifty million dollars in sponsorship into it, and then a year later, Air Asia decided to buy those planes. Even if it wasn't really bribery and uh, inappropriate, it sure looks like it. Yeah. So wow. Who, who gets those four billion dollars? Regular. I, I tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like the competition, and that's the. Severe Financial Crimes Office or something like that in the UK. There's a US part and the bulk of it is in France. Wow. I mean, in France, that must be like shooting yourself in the foot, given that Airbus is so important to their economy. Yeah, but I think there's also the assumption that it's still not going to break things. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it's, wait, the the real interesting part was just specific to AirAsia is that in, as they've been named and now Malaysian authorities are also investigating and pulling data from the UK folks, um, the the two gentlemen, Fernandez and Marinon, have stepped aside. So Tony Fernandez is not running AirAsia right now for the first time since like 2000-something. Wow. wow. Uh, it's a temporary uh, reassignment, but he is, for two months, the two of them have stepped out of their roles, although remain available on, consul- on for consultative reasons, as, as deemed appropriate by others in the company. <laughs> so yeah, it's an interesting situation. Yeah, and that's and, $4 billion, a ton of money. Yeah, and... I mean, not nearly as bad as screwing up the uh, flight controls on your airplane and having to ground it for a year. But that's that's true. <laughs> and killing a few hundred people along the way. That's right. Um, the other thing to consider is we know the AirAsia folks. It has been suggested that other many other countries and airlines are also implicated, and so how much of that will uh, trickle down as well remains seen. But it may be this may this is likely to get bigger before it gets smaller. So I mean, I mean. Th- could you could you could you argue or could you see Boeing arguing? Look, we rushed the development of the Max because all these Airbus planes were being sold, and we wanted to keep up. And yet, here we find out Airbus wasn't playing fair and was essentially bribing people to buy their airplanes while we were trying to make an honest buck, even though we did our own type of bribery and had the plane approved before it should have been approved and played inside baseball with the FAA and stuff like that. And say it's Airbus's fault that they screwed up so badly. Yeah, I mean, could you see them playing that that angle? Uh, <laughs> it, it's possible, but I can't imagine that would be a good angle to play. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Anyway, but, um, but it'd be interesting to see which other carriers get implicated, like domestically, Delta, American, possibly Frontier or uh, Indigo Partners. Excuse me. Right, because they're Frontier. They're who else? They're Spirit, and there are a number of others. Not Spirit anymore, but. It will, but depending on how far back this goes, it, might yeah. be, it still might be relevant to Spirit. Yeah, it was Frontier, Wiz, 
Viva Airbus and something further south. Hmm. The, big four. Or the ones that the ones that bought Norwegian, Argentina, but I don't know, FlySmart, maybe something like that. Um, but I mean, because if you look at the ones that have gone all Airbus in the last few years, I suspect those would be the suspected ones. Yeah, very interesting. Um, the AA Union, the, the Mechanics Union, has reached a tentative agreement with the airline. Is that true? Yeah. Um, they, in principle, they are still finalizing the language. Gotcha. Um, and basically, I mean, it's, the numbers I saw initially were massive. It was uh, to like. I, like significant signing bonus, uh, pretty big raises, and other aspects along the way. Do I still have it here? Yeah, thirty thousand covers thirty thousand workers. And uh, sorry, I'm just not the document we're talking That's about. Okay. But it was uh, four point two billion dollar contract. Wow, it covers mechanics, fleet services, maintenance control, maintenance training, and MLS stores. And this will be. You think this will put an end to the work stoppage stuff? That slow down stuff. Slowdowns that we've seen. If, if nothing else, I hope it puts an end to the guys going out of their way to actively sabotage airplanes. Yeah. Um, although, as far as we know, there's only the one. Uh, the, yeah, I, I think this helps a lot on that front. Um, it's hard to tell sometimes. Like, if it's if that really is just a few people who are bitter, are they going to mm-hmm. necessarily be happy? Or are they still bitter? Like, mm-hmm. and if they think they can keep getting away with it, uh, maybe it's just fun. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of money going into this one. I best I can tell, the uh, unions did very well on it. One interesting thing is some data I saw that American shared internally, maybe sort of ish, uh, that like that their operational reliability in the at least for the second half of January has been spectacularly good. Um, and like the numbers I'm seeing is that from January 19th to 29th, uh, only 50 cancellations on mainline. And primarily related to ATC and weather, and 6,100 flights on January 29th across both mainline and regional with zero cancellations. Wow, so, so things things might be getting better. Yeah. Now, obviously, the China cancellations are going to weigh on that. Although there's only what six a day. Yep. Uh, two, four. Well, each way six a day, I guess five a day. Um, six a day each way. Yeah. So like those are going to be some things, but it they seem to be maybe turning a corner operationally. We'll have to see if it's you know, uh, if it trends, if it's, uh, if it's something they can hold, right. I mean, Delta had bursts like this and then started smoothing the curve and made it just a regular thing. But yeah, it's also unclear if they're playing a Delta delay at 18 hours or not. I I can, I can already hear Faz's response. (laughs) It's a fluke. I didn't say anything. (laughs) Um, I mean, mean, but the only thing I would add to that, it has been an unseasonably warm winter. Very true. Across the entire system. Right, so they had that going for them because the reality is, no airline can have no delays in January under normal circumstances. Or no cancels. No, no cancel. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For what it's worth, I had three American flights in January, and they all operated sufficiently close on time that I didn't notice. But I mean, so they're over one hurdle with the mechanics, but now the other uh, unions are now wanting new agreements too. And this is a horrible time to negotiate new agreements from an airline's perspective because they're at their peak. Yes. Right. We're probably not that far from an economic downturn, and then most of these gains will probably get retreated anyways. Um, I think we have one last planned story, and then I wanted to talk about something else. Uh, But the last story is the A220 variant, the Dash 300 version, is going to be heavier. It's going to have a a heavier max takeoff weight by about about two tons. It's 1.8 tons. uh, difference, and then it's going to be able to fly with that weight difference 450 nautical miles further. Um, Yeah. 
The 300 is going first. The 100 is expected to follow. Yeah. So they're going to make the maximum takeoff weight of the Dash 100 larger as well. Is that what you're saying? Yes. That's. I mean, that's an interesting turn. I mean, you're now, what, at 2,000, 2,500 uh, nautical miles range? Is that? It's longer than that. Oh, is it? Yeah, because the 300 series can do... In, they flew the 300 series in a all-business configuration from London City to JFK. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Let's see here. Um, the three hundred and it, the three hundred has it's thirty five hundred nautical miles, um, and then on the on the three hundred and thirty eight hundred on the two on the one hundred maybe. So how long before airlines start using these on transcons? If you believe the David Nealman's plan, not very. It's a matter I mean, of getting some. I'm fine with that. Two three config. I thought it was perfectly comfortable on Swiss, and yeah, I wouldn't mind it. It could be interesting. I mean, come on, man. So you got to put flatbeds in it and, and, and. Yeah, I mean, not all of the Transcon routes are flatbeds, right? It's just LA and San Francisco, but you have a ton of other markets. Seattle, Portland, Vancouver. JetBlue. Seattle and San Diego are both Transcon markets. Are they from Boston? Ish. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, I mean, they're the outliers. They're, they're not. They're not good markets. They, I was actually talking with one employee the other day, and someone was like, "I don't ever get to fly uh, Mint, even though it looks so awesome." This is in Southern California, and the employee and I both looked at the person and said San Diego at the same time because they're based in Orange County, <laughs> and the fares out of San Diego can be close to the economy fares if you book in advance and get some get things right. They can be close to the economy fares out of LAX. Huh. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing the two twenty on. Transcons or mid, like, you know, long midcons. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be that bad. It would, you know, we like the E one seventy fives, right? I mean, it beats the hell out of a CRJ two two hundred. Uh, I think the we like the E one seventy fives for regional flights. I, I mean, I was doing Seattle Milwaukee on the the one seventy five, and that's you know almost pushing four hours. You're also a glutton for punishment. Well, you got to be where you got to be, man. <laughs> I say, and also, I guess I'm not allowed to talk anymore based on, about what's comfortable if, if that's where we're drawing a <laughs> I'd probably probably just fly to Chicago and then drive from there. <laughs> I did that a few times because United canceled my connecting CR2 flight. There you go. <laughs> uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about is something I sent you guys. It's this airworthiness directive for oh, yeah. the 737. Uh, and it's for the next gen. So that includes the, six, the Dash 600, 700, 700C, 800, 900, and 900ERs. Um, there's this AD, this airworthiness directive came out uh, December 27th. And uh, they asked for comments by uh, next Monday uh, of 2020. It basically says that uh, runways, certain runways with a 270-degree true heading, um, when it's selected for an instrument approach, it blacks out all of the FMC display units uh, on the 737. This feels like a pretty bad bug. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean... I get the I, I, how how is that not something that gets tested? Do you not check all of them? I don't know. <laughs> I I don't I don't know. Like it doesn't say exactly what's causing it. They well they do say it. There is some code that they found is the issue. But if you uh, look at the list of airports, right? None of them are anything close to a major airport. What are the airports? Do you have them? Barrow, uh, Barrow, Alaska. Which I think gets a 737 cargo every now and then. It gets a 737-700. with it gets real service? Real for for Alaska, service? yeah. Yeah, so like, how has that not been noticed? Or has Alaska been every time, they, does it, do they only land on the 9s, not the 27s? I or think it, it depends, yeah. It could also be particular to a per level of code that they may have upgraded. Could be. Right, they might not have been in a previous version, and then they updated the FMC, and it started showing up. Let's see here. The other one is, there's a few others. There's um, Pine Buff Bluffs, Wyoming. Uh, which doesn't actually have 
it's not a true it's not a it's not like a k designated airfield it's yeah like a <laughs> and then there's wayne county ohio uh chippewa county michigan cavern city new mexico uh la mina columbia and chede jagan in georgetown guyana um let me see what okay, so relatively low frequency of usage, but I would have thought the Barrow would have triggered this. Somehow. I I know that from well, I mean, like Georgetown in Guyana, like oh, doesn't, it is Georgetown is the big airport. Yeah, it's the it's the. I mean, I would have thought that one would have done it, unless they just approach from you know the south going north. north? I, don't, I don't know east west twenty seven and nine. Yeah, um, twenty seven and nine. Yeah. I mean, shit, I've landed on that runway then in a 737, I think. Or does Delta Fly 757s down there? Or did? Maybe it was a 757. Well, and I think what throws people off is, right, this is true heading. This isn't the magnetic heading of... So it's not every runway 27. Yeah, it's like in, in Georgetown, it's runway 24. But the true heading of it is 27, right? So... Wait, what? Uh, I mean, don't they normally just change the numbers after a while when things start to drift that much? <laughs> I don't I don't know. They're I mean, that could to. also be part of it. <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to because they did at Orange County. Yeah, they do. I mean, they changed. They change them every now and then. Like, you see, it makes the news. It's a thing. Yep. So it it could be part of it. Uh, I'm looking. I'm going to try and pull up uh, Barrow here in a second. I just want to get its approach plate. I mean, I'm looking at this. I know there is a there is a due east west runway definitely in. Uh, it's the short runway is that you do east west one in uh, Guyana. I think that's probably part of why. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that it's it 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 probably doesn't come up because they approach from over the water at Barrow, which would be facing east. Okay. Um, I think that's the normal approach based on what I'm reading. So you know maybe it maybe they had a westerly approach and it came up. I don't know, but I I know that reading it, there's been a few. Barrow was pointed out as being where this has come up multiple times. Yeah. It does look though like it's runway twenty nine, not twenty four, but twenty nine. Or excuse me, not twenty seven, twenty nine in. Uh, in Georgetown. There also is a 24 and that is the one that is typically used. That's not the East West runway. Gotcha. 20, 29 East West. It's just the most, like I was, I posted on Twitter. I said, this is the most random bug because yeah. it's, you have to have it selected um, as the runway that you're going to arrive on as an instrument approach in the FMC. And you have to be on approach to that runway. And then this happens. Like the, the, I mean, the on case. the plus side, the code <laughs> recognizes that you are in fact going where you said you were going on the downside. <laughs> it decides to shit its pants when you do that. <laughs> So uh, hopefully this gets fixed soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Awesome. Anything else? It almost makes me feel better about how Boeing managed to screw up the Mac so much, but not really. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately not. Oh, man. Well, guys, I think that's a show. Uh, to our listeners, you can find us on Twitter at DotsLines, moredotsmorelines.com. Uh, leave a comment. Tweet us. We'd like to hear from you. If there's anything you'd like us to talk about, we'd love to do that. Until next time, happy travels. Take care. See ya.